This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. During the past decade, the growing complexity of drugs, biologics, vaccines, and devices alerted national regulatory authorities to the importance of reliable, harmonious regulatory review and approval practices for these products. But if these emerging technologies served first notice, the COVID-19 pandemic sounded an urgent alarm. The need to understand the level of effectiveness of health authorities and identify opportunities for institutional development prompted the creation of tools for benchmarking of regulatory authorities. The interview you're about to hear was recorded at the DIA's Latin America Regulatory Conference, OLARC 2022, under the title the evaluation of national regulatory authorities as a tool for strengthening regulatory systems in the Americas, which provided more detailed follow-up discussion to the conference session on reliance and good regulatory practices. Welcome to the follow-up to session two of the DIA Latin American Regulatory Conference. I am Susan Zavala Coloma, and together with my colleague Camila Gomez, I will be sharing this virtual session. For more than a decade, the Pan American Health Organization has been implementing a regional system for evaluation of national regulatory authorities for medicines. This process of evaluation and assessment of NRAs is based on verification of the indicators included in a regional developed data collection tool, which was based on recommendation from the World Health Organization. This system has been used to define NRAs of regional reference in the Americans. Currently, ANMAT from Argentina, ANDISA from Brazil, SEGME from Cuba, COFEPRIS from Mexico, Health Canada, INDIMA from Colombia, ISP from Chile, and the US FDA. PAHO's regional data collection tool was one of the main sources used by the WHO to create its global benchmarking tool, or GBT. The GBT is an assessment tool that is eventually going to support the designation of WHO-listed authorities. Today, we have the pleasure to welcome Dr. Analia Porras, the Unit Chief for Medicines and Health Technologies in PAHO. She was invited to chat with us and provide some insights on these regional and global regulatory developments, how they coexist, and what to expect from the future. Welcome, Dr. Porras. Thank you so much, Susan and Camila, and it's a pleasure for me to be here with you today, even if it's virtually, and very happy to contribute to the great work that DIA does for promoting regulatory convergence and knowledge around the region. Thank you so much for the opportunity for PAHO to be part of this initiative. Thank you so much, Dr. Porras. So PAHO and WHO have been assessing regulators and their activities for many years, as explained by Susan, uh, even before the existence of standardized tools that we have today. So to begin, can you briefly comment on the motivation and the value of having this type of benchmarking? Yes, thank you. It's a great question. And some people don't know the history behind this. But to be honest, the merit goes to member states. 
There was a meeting held in Oaxaca, Mexico, many years ago, where the heads of some of the regulatory authorities in the region got together and were trying to find more appropriate and straightforward words for harmonization, conversions, and cooperation among this. But the problem is they didn't know each other very well. So they asked PAJO to develop a sort of benchmarking exercise that would allow them to transparently know what each authority was about and promote conversion. But at the same time, Pajo saw the opportunity, and I want to underscore that, that the basic reason Pajo got so invested in that with the member state is we see these as a main way forward for regulatory system strengthening. So the idea of the assessment is not just to showcase what's going well in a regulatory authority, but with the regulatory authority, decide on the priorities for opportunities for improvement. So the tool allowed us to assess an authority in a transparent, systematic way, in an objective way, but then to develop an institutional development plan that the authority could follow to cover those gaps, to breach those gaps, and to improve. And we see that that work and many authorities got reassessed over time and improved substantially because we measure in an objective way. And so the tool ended up having two big side effects. One was, yes, we got to have regulatory authorities of reference, which we know that they are trustworthy and that other authorities can rely on can use Reliant or PAHO can use Reliant for procurement mechanism. But at the same time, and mostly what we were seeking is to improve the regulatory capacities of authorities that were still struggling or developing and to encourage even the more developed regulatory authorities for continuous improvement. That's how it started more than 10 years ago. Can you provide some concrete examples of how this assessment exercise connects to the current efforts from PAHO and WHO in strengthening regulatory systems by supporting the implementation of good regulatory practices and good reliance practices? Yes, absolutely. I think the main point is this tool, which evolved very much over time, was initially proposed by PAHO based on an assessment that was developed for WHO pre-qualification processes for vaccines to determine functionality of authorities that were going to go through the pre-qualification process. But then over time, this tool got revised and improved by actual regulators, by the regulators that were being assessed. What I'm saying that, because actually it's a practical tool. It tries to capture the reality of how a regulatory system should work. And that actually is based on the idea of those good regulatory practices that they are covering the document and the good reliance practice. For us, it's very important, for example, that there are so many ways that you can do reliance. And usually what we see is that the best reliance and the most widespread reliance done by actually regulatory authorities that have a lot of capacity because they see the advantages of taking the work done by another regulatory authority and saving times of resources or double checking what they are doing. But to do that, if you look at that carefully, there are certain principles that are universal, whatever reliance is going around. And that's what PAHO did with member states in the PANDRA conference that was held in, in El Salvador. 
it delineated and adopted a series of good reliance principles that should guide the adoption of any reliance practice. It's reflected in the indicators, for example, that are assessed in the tool. Because whenever an authority, for example, adopts a way of reliance or streams a mechanism, the tool is going to check that you have the legal basis, that you're transparent, that you do the process properly. So I think it's very much reflected in the tool, the idea of push for efficiencies and reliance and good regulatory practice, as long as they are well represented in your arsenal of procedures, processes, and regulations, and they are reflected in the actual way you do things. Perfect. I think this is a nice segue for the next question, because it has been pretty clear for all of us who are in the region that PAHO is a trendsetter for the world, I would say. The reliance document that was later adopted by WHO and the assessment in itself. The question that we have right now is WHO is now rolling out its WLA, WHO Listed Authorities Framework. So one natural question that emerges for us here in the Americas is, How will the concept of an array of regional reference that is supported by PAHO connect to this uh, global efforts in the WHO framework for designating and publicly listing authorities? How is maybe one concept different from the other or connected to the other? Will the NRAs of regional reference be assessed differently in this context? Or has PAHO or WHO discussed or have been discussing this with the regulators here in the region? I guess during the interview, I'm going to date myself several times because I'm going to bring history so people to understand. So there was a meeting in 2015 in Geneva that brought together regulators from all around the world. And it was at the behest of convening of WHO. And then member states at the global level decided, and that included our member state, and Paco was present there too, decided that all the reasons should shift to one global mechanism. That was the GVT, the tool. From the GVT, then since 2015, we are trying to collaborate at the global level to develop this new concept of WLA, which is WHO Listed Authorities, to replace the so-called stringent regulatory authorities denomination that some processes in Geneva and around the world rely on for for example, expedited process of regulation for prequalification, etc. So when PAHO and its member states adopted that in 2015 at the global level, the idea was that the region will move to that process and not have a separate process. So remember, the WLA is a consequence of the evaluation, but it carries probably many other requisites. But for us, the evaluation which we already have adopted the GVT version 6, which is a great tool. It's an evolution of the tool that we had and the global tools that were used otherwise and actually had an enormous input from our region. All the working groups have enormous representation from the Americas, which is a great thing. So it's our we consider it that it's our tool too. It's not just a global tool that we are adopting. So it's our tool. But to go back to how this will move into the WLA and the NRA of reference, it's a question how we will transition. I think eventually we all move, move to one system. 
the authorities will be evaluated they want to become WLA probably by a global team because it will be a global mechanism in the case before was a regional team but it was quite international because there were representatives from many countries besides PAHO and it would be PAHO and WHO Geneva intervening in the assessment of the ones that want to become candidates. But the GBT itself is the tool that we will continue to use for assessment for our main purpose, which is strengthening regulatory authorities and developing institutional development plan for our authorities. So the tool is universal now. The process of WLA will need a transition from the regional level to the global level. And it's very timely that you ask that because PAHO and its member states have decided that for the next cycle of directed council meetings, which is our governing body, all the ministers get together, usually happens in September, we will discuss and hopefully adopt renewal of that 2010 resolution that set PAHO up to do this assessment. So 2010, member state adopted a resolution with the concept of an array of reference. This year, we're going to bring a new resolution that will replace that and will actually mention how the region will transition from an array of reference in a way to WLA. It's already been discussed, but I don't have a complete answer how this will happen. That's fine. It's clear that it's a work in progress. And you sort of already touched on my follow-up question to this was what to expect for the future and how does PAHO would expect the assessment of the regulators in the region to look like, especially when some of the more mature authorities want to apply for WHO listing. So in summary, from what I could get from your answer, yes, we are in a transition period. PAHO is going to have this renewed mandate to perform the evaluation, and we'll do that in collaboration with WHO, correct? Yes, but keep in mind that a lot of the initial work that needs for preparation of that will still be very much a PAHO day-to-day lead activity. We have an enormous amount of effort and work invested with our regulatory authorities. I can say, as you said, we are a trendsetter, and I like that. I actually feel that it's a very flattering thing, but I, I would like to add that we gain the trust of our regulatory authorities and our other stakeholders like the industry. So with that trust, the authorities know that we're going to push them to be their best, to be well prepared for that global evaluation. So we will continue to work on that on a periodic basis. And then we see the WDA designation as a natural cherry on the cake. But for us, the most important part is that those authorities are well prepared to oversee and regulate the markets and collaborate with other authorities internationally to expand the concept of regional regulatory system that we very much strive for. Still talking about the future, are there any plans to expand the regional or global benchmarking exercises to regulatory functions in the area of medical devices? Yes, and not only on medical devices. The tool will have the usual medicines and vaccines and other biologics scope. Medical devices is certainly an area that it's a high priority for us. And also blood and blood products. Blood is a medicine by fact and by designation as an essential medicine by the World Health Organization, essential medicine list. And it's 
One of those technologies, health technologies, that unfortunately we all know the importance, but sometimes it falls in the cracks between the programs and the regulators and that overlap that you need for regulating blood and blood products and go from just the blood donor to the blood product in a seamless way. And the same way for medical devices. Medical devices is an enormous challenge. You all know that the number of medicines, it's overwhelming, but it pales in comparison to the number of medical devices, the complexity, the different risk assessment, the supply chains that are very much chopped all around the world and with very difficult comparability between products. But there's been an effort which, again, our authorities are very much involved in to develop benchmarking module for medical devices that will add to the overall global matching tool. It's still premature to use it for benchmarking and designation of WLAs, but it's certainly going to start being used in the field and perfected because every time we use a new tool and we take into the field, we learn a lot and we learn a lot of things that need to be improved and things that we might be missing or things that might be a little bit superfluous. The idea would be eventually to cover all health technologies that are important for the health system and to be able to do that exercise with all the tools or with some of the tools according to the needs and priorities of a particular country of regulatory authority. To shift here a little bit, we'd like to call the attention of, for the fact that the Americas are very fortunate to have in the Pan-American Network for Drug Regulatory Harmonization or the PANDRA mm-hmm. Network, a very well-developed initiative of regulatory stakeholders here in our region. It includes regulators, industry, mm-hmm. academia, others. So can you comment how those activities of the network connect to the benchmarking efforts and the concept of NRAs of reference or listed authorities? I have to say that I completely agree with Camilla. I mean, we are very fortunate. Pandra is one of the longest standard convergence and harmonization mechanisms in the world. And of course, it has evolved in the way it, it operates. In the very beginning, Pandra was dedicated at developing guidelines. We had to eventually acknowledge that there were other bodies around the world that were doing a very good job. And it's a very hard and also with a lot of resources needed to do that at the speed that the world is going in terms of standards and development. So WHO was developing standards by itself. ICH, IMDRF, and the number of specializations. So we, with the stakeholders, with the industry and the academia and other, and the regulators, of course, adopted a new way of working in Pandora. It's more of looking at the priorities of the regions than nobody else. It's working together or cooperating to address and then trying to cover by specific project some of those gaps, which are absolutely connected with the results of the institutional development plans and the benchmarking process. So the priorities come from that. And when we see that it's a general need by the region, we propose it to the executive committee and to the regulators, and we address that gap. Or because a topic becomes so hot or so important, like reliance, that the secretarial pushes the reliance principles that I was mentioning before. But for example, the groups on internet sales or the groups that we have on pharmacovigilance, that comes from the priorities of the benchmarking. So for me, they are completely related and complementary. 
And there's no other forum in the region that allow us to speak directly to all the regulatory authorities from the region, regardless of their status. And if we didn't have PADRA, when COVID broke out, we wouldn't have had the speed of the muscle to immediately form these focal points of COVID-19 for regulators, that it took PAHO very little time to convene and have had more than 30 meetings with regulators inviting sometimes industries, inviting sometimes academia, but mostly the regulators every two weeks push a specific piece of information that we thought it was crucial or to share between them during the COVID-19 pandemic. Although it wasn't called Pandra Group, it was actually a Pandra activity. Thank you, Dr. Perez. Can you tell us uh, what role can industry and other regional stakeholders play in supporting benchmarking efforts? Oh, that's a great question. Those countries that have gone through the assessment know that one of the activity is for the assessors going to talk to industry and to what we call the regulated sector. Talking about regulation without the counterpart within regulated sector, is, it's a little of an abstract concept. For us, we've seen, again, making a little history, that the countries that had advanced the most and actually embraced the results of the benchmarking were the ones that actually got the local industry to push the regulatory authority to do so. And why? Of course, it's a win-win situation. All the countries, and we've done that in the report that we published last year, of the experience and landscaping of regulatory systems around the region based on the study of the regulatory authorities of reference, that most countries that got the designation of regulatory authorities of reference and even ones that were assessed and improved without even making reference, improved their exports. Why? Because the products became trusted. So it has a, a huge economical impact. So we think of the responsible industry as a partner on regulatory system strengthening and one that it can allow us to make the case that improving regulation, it's a positive for the economic and social development of a country, not only because and foremost, it guards the safety and health of the population in that country, but also there's an economic and industrial case for improving the output and the exports of the products in that country and or making more cost-effective use of the products that you import to use within the health system. So it's a win-win. Having said that, what we do think the industry can play a bigger part is in pushing for transparency, both on the regulatory decisions and on the results of those decisions and on the products that come into the market. Because that actually is something that it's now going to be evaluated more closely during the benchmarking. And I think we still have some work to do for that in the region and around the world. Well, I couldn't agree more. Going back to the beginning where we were talking about the good regulatory practices yeah. as well, and, yeah. uh, and the industry plays a role, regulators and all the other stakeholders. So just to finalize, I'd like to come back to the point that you made about the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's inevitable yeah. that we bring it to the table. And we would like to invite you to reflect on the future of regulatory systems in the Americas. You mentioned the, the report, it, it does it pretty well. So how does the post-pandemic effective and functional regulatory authority should look like? And uh, what is expected from those who are considered reference authorities in this scenario and other authorities as well? 
We did that in the last Pandora virtual conference. It's inevitably that we reflect on what happened during the pandemic, but also that we take that as an enormous opportunity to move forward in a different way, in a way that can actually take the lessons out of regulation in a time of crisis to prevent crisis, but also to become more efficient when the next one comes in and we become more efficient in the day-to-day. So what did we learn? We learned that a lot of things can be done more effectively and in a collaborative way, that once you give the authorities the trust and the information, they can exercise reliant in a very effective way. And I have to, again, give my kudos to my Geneva pre-qualification colleagues on the vaccine front, which install this very innovative way of bringing regulators around the world to work on the emergency use listing of some of these vaccines. But for the first time, gave access to the results, the full results of the pre-qualification, in this case, emergency use listing, to any authorities that will sign a confidentiality agreement. That meant there were no delays on accessing information from our authorities when they purchased the vaccines through the revolving fund from PAHO. And so the two mechanisms were seamlessly for avoiding, for the first time, any delay on the regulatory front for entering and adopting new vaccines, but mostly give you the right information so that you respect the reliance principles to oversee those vaccines while in your market. Having said that, transparency was another issue because as much that was very easy on the vaccine front and know which vaccine was coming from where and who had evaluated and authorized it, It was not an easy task at all with medicines, but mostly, for example, with medical devices, with PPEs. Origin, procedence, who's the regulatory body that oversees, what's the standard? We need to make that transparent, readily available if we want to strive for efficiency. And there has to be an effort at the global level supported by industry to make that readily available and apparent and to share the information. If the industry demands more efficiency, they have to give more information for that efficiency to happen. And at the same time, I think regulators need to understand that a lot of the processes that are going to happen during emergencies, especially, but at the normal, in normal time, that can be streamlined and can be made more efficient have to focus not only on the entry of those products, but on the follow-up of the product on the market with the authority to make decisions for either changing the indications or even taking the product off the market if there's any doubt. That will create trust with the public. And a lot of the hesitancy we see with some of the decisions comes because the information wasn't clearly available and the criteria wasn't clearly available what make the decision. But last, I also like to say that we reaffirm, because we knew it before, that regulatory systems and regulatory authorities are an essential part of a well-functioning health system, especially during crisis when everything becomes more evident. Regulatory systems need to be there and be efficient and be an integral and coordinated part of the health system. And that, especially in the regulatory field, they need to have the technical independence and the level of hierarchy in the health system to make decisions that don't look like they are politically motivated, because that harms trust and eventually might harm public health. So we need to 
shield the regulatory decision from the perception or the actual manipulation from political or any other concerns that might make our population less confident of what the regulators are doing, which they did an enormous amount. I've talked to, I think, all the regulatory authorities in a way or another, and actually and my hat goes off to the enormous amount of effort and enormous investment that these professionals and, and workers of the regulatory authorities did through the pandemic. So thank you. Yes, many lessons learned. And I want to thank who Bajo that helps authorities all the time. It was a big challenge, but we face that. It has been a pleasure hosting you for this conversation, Dr. Forrest. We are sure that the information you have shared with our audience will be of great value for a better understanding and how the evaluation of national regulatory authorities can contribute for strengthening regulatory systems in the Americas and what to expect from the near future. For your closing remarks, we would like you to summarize maybe with five keywords the opportunities you see for regulatory system strategies in the region, which are connected to benchmarking of national regulatory authorities. Five words. I'm not a person of five words, but I think it's continuous improvement should be among them. The fact that a standardized and objective assessments and cooperation and collaboration. I think we are poised to do that. And I trust with this next resolution and with the push of our regulations, we're going to get there. And in 10 more years, probably all of our authorities should have a functional level that our people deserve. So thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure discussing this with you. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at ciaglobal.org.